to start a new series here this morning in the book of Joshua. We'll start, of course, in the first chapter. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over to this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give unto them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that I have given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your coast. <clears throat> There shall not be any man to be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and be of good courage. <clears throat> for unto this people shall thou divide for inheritance of the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do all to do, to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper wheresoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and thou, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shall thou make thy way prosperous. And thou shalt have good success. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and be of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee wheresoever thou goest. Let us pray before we commence. Heavenly Father, before we start in this book, your word, would you uh, uh, help me as I proclaim it, Lord? Would you help all of us to, to, uh, to hear Father, to apply it to our lives, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, uh, give us free course in our life, Lord, as we apply this book in Jesus' great name. Amen. So today we're starting this series in the book of Joshua, and in the book of Joshua, uh, with the help of God, we see many valuable lessons for the Christian life. We also see many ways as we see how God moves, how he directs, and how he corrects and guides his covenant people. The book highlights God's steadfastness, the keeping that he keeps his promises that he made in the, the first five book of the scriptures, the law also, especially, uh, that he made towards his people. It highlights God as a promise keeper in giving them the land that he had promised so long ago, the promise that was always in the back of the mind of the, the patriarchs and that was always uh, in the writings of Moses. When we went through those last chapters of Genesis, when we went through the life of Joseph and, and Jacob, we saw their wishes regarding their burial and where they wanted to be buried and, and uh, their, their testimony about that. And it, and it showed that they had the land in mind, that it showed that they had their faith in the promises of God. But we also see highlighted in this book the importance of obedience and faith. 
and obedience in those promises that were given, the seriousness of sin and of disobedience, and that faith and the promises are not separated from the word of God, or faith and obedience are not separated. It shows once the promised, uh, once they're in the promised land that the battle is not over. There would be battles, there would be setbacks, there would be discouragement, similar to the life of the Christian. Once in Christ, we still have many battles to fight and many hardships that come our way. For, and we fight those through faith and to the glory of God. We battle the flesh, the devil, and the world while we live, and we need his encouragement. We need faith. Sometimes maybe believers are puzzles as they are believers now, and they have various temptations, the fiery darts, as Paul calls them, perhaps wicked thoughts or blasphemous thoughts. I remember um, John Bunyan was suffered greatly of thoughts of atheism even, and uh, people are puzzled by that, that after they're coming to faith, they, they struggle with that. And, uh, but that is an evidence that we are on the war path with the wicked ones, uh, the wicked one, and that we are belonging to God. As a believer, you have that assurance of heaven, and we are sure of it as every, any saint that is already there. But yet, we are at war while we are alive. And we battle the world and the devil and the remaining sin in us. This book also warns against easy believism, or the message of the prosperity gospel that we hear nowadays, that claims that everything will be better once we are believers, that all will go well, that looks to material blessing instead of the spiritual ones in Christ. With the book of Joshua, we enter into the historical books of the Bible that go all the way through Esther, although some have said it, is a, it belongs to the prophet, but mostly the, the genre we see is in the historical narrative. And when it comes to reading or studying the historical narrative, we must keep in mind, as one commentator said, what is the writer preaching to us about? when he tells this story. Is he not telling you, he's not telling you the story only to inform you, although that is part of it. He, is, he has a message to proclaim, a God to press upon you. So always keep that in mind when you read the historical accounts in scripture, the, the principles, principles and pattern that we see are important to us as they were to the people back then. So if you want to divide the book of Joshua, it basically goes uh, like this. It's, there's the crossing, there's the seizing of the land, there's the dividing of the land, the inheritance of the various tribes, and there, then there's the serving of the people in response to the work that he did in those earlier sections of the book. The book itself does not say who wrote it. When it says the book of Joshua, uh, that came afterwards. But there is some good evidence, inward testimony, that he at least wrote part of it. Um, he couldn't have written some parts since his, his death is recorded in it. Some chapters, it really reads like an eyewitness account, and other chapters he uses I uh, quite a few times. So um, 
most figured that at least he would have had a part in it. Extra biblical literature, like the Talmud, mentions that uh, Joshua wrote it himself uh, with the help of Eliezer the priest. Um, also, he seemed to have some other sources. He quotes the book of Jasher, so he had some other sources at hand. John Calvin, who is always a, a great source on these matters, says, as to the author of the book, it is better to suspend our judgment than to make random assertions. Those who think that it was Joshua, because his name stands on the title page, rest on weak and insufficient ground. The probability is that the summary event of events was framed by the high priest Eliezer and furnished the material out of which the book of Joshua was composed. And he says, let us not hesitate that, therefore to pass over a matter which we are unable to determine with certainty. But for sure, he says, that it was dictated by the Holy Spirit for our use and for our benefit. <clears throat> the book would have been completed around 1400 BC. Now, before we enter into the book, I do like to spend a, a good portion of looking at Joshua the man before we encounter him in this book. Joshua would have been born under slavery in Egypt, and we first see Joshua appear in Exodus 17. He was that military leader, a general, that fought against the Amalekites. And without introduction, he appears on the scene. Moses had picked him to, to lead the fight. Obviously, um, since he was picked out that mass group of people, he must have uh, shown some courage or some gifting in the art of fighting, perhaps, that he was noticed by Moses. You remember the account. Moses was on top of the mountain, and uh, when his hands were held up, and he was holding the rod of God, the battle went well. And he, and, and he prayed, a symbol of praying, and Israel did well. But when he lowered it, the Amalekites seemed to win the battle. When Israel could see their leader, they were doing well. When they couldn't see him, that great mediator, it went bad. Maybe this uh, in, in Timothy, where he says, uh, that's where it comes from, therefore I will that holy man lifting up their hands without wrath and doubting, praying to God. When he got tired, Aaron and Hur would hold his hands up so that in that way, Joshua would win the battle. He had learned that a real battle was won on the mountaintop and that it was all of God. Joshua was in the shadow of Moses, that great leader of the people. For Exodus 17, 13, and Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put them out of remembrance for I will utterly put out of the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. So here um, it was reminded by God to Moses that he had to write this down as an encouragement to Joshua later on that he would remember uh, what happened here and how the battle was won and that it was won, that it was won through prayer 
and strength that the God had given him, even though he was very gifted. It was God that had won the battle. Next, Exodus 24, verse 13. And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. So Moses had noticed this man, and he had become uh, very close to him. And uh, we see that he climbed together up with Aaron and some elders up on the Mount Horeb, where God spoke with, with Moses and gave him the law. Now, when most of the group had eventually come down, it was Joshua that stayed up there with Moses. Perhaps he could see some of the, the glory uh, up closer because he children of Israelites did see it themselves as well, but he was closer to that mountaintop. You can imagine the conversations that they would have had as they came down with Moses and saw Moses' faith in God and in his word. And that was being installed in Joshua. He was in those training grounds. So from those great highs, he would also see great difficulty difficulty working with a sinful nation. As they came down, there was that golden calf. He would see the depravity of men and their proneness to sin, their slowness of heart, their proneness to forget all that God had done for them. And he saw the seriousness of sin and disobedience. In all the examples of a, that the nation had now done unto Moses, they Time after time, as it were, would lift their fist up to God, the very one that had rescued them out of Egypt with many a miracle and an outstretched arm. They would doubt and they would rebel against him. It was Joshua in Numbers 13 and 14 that went out to spy out, to, to spy out the country together with the other 11 to check out the land of Canaan. There they were standing at the border of Canaan, the promised land, but what was the land like inside? Um, here is probably the most familiar account of Joshua prior to this book that we're, we know of. Moses said to him, well, check it out. Is the country weak? Is it small? Are they dwelling in tents or are they dwelling in fortresses? Is the land lean or fat? Is there enough food for everyone? And he also asked them to bring some food with them and showed it to the people. It was the time of harvest. And of course, they come back with a report. And indeed, there was a land flowing with milk and honey. And it, they showed the fruit. But the people were giants. The cities had thick walls. And the ten spies who were dominated by unbelief reported this to the people. What did they say? We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. The land, though, through which we have gone to search it, is a land that eateth up its inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which become the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And you notice the, the language of unbelief in these people. After all the miracles they had seen, they speak like 
practical atheists, speaking as God had never done anything for them. Their view of God was very small. Perhaps you catch yourself sometimes talking like this or thinking like this or Christians around you. There's a crisis or a, a difficulty in your life and you talk as though there is no God. We worry, we fret, we make our own plans as though God can't intervene. We don't call upon his name. Then we need to hear what Elijah said to the wicked king Isaiah when he inquired of the Lord to Baal. Elijah said, is there then no king in Israel? Let us be aware of the certainties of unbelief, lest we go astray. Remembering Hebrews 4, 6, that they did not enter in because of their unbelief. Now the bad news spreads throughout the camp like wildfire. Numbers 14, verse 1. And all the congregations lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we would have died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness? <clears throat> and they said to one another, Let us make a captain, and let us return to Egypt. Quite something. Those are the people that Moses had worked for 40 years with, after all this time. Numbers 14, verse 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jehanath, which were with them, that had searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we have passed through to search is, is exceedingly good. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel ye not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. In other words, it's just a light bread. We can eat them up like that. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. So you can see that he speaks worth of truth. He speaks worth based on the promises that were given. He had faith in them, and he already kind of does the task of a great leader, what he would do later. Joshua reminds me of the song we'll sing in a bit uh, about the, the mystery of um, God works in mysterious ways. It says, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and so break in blessings on your head. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Now notice that Caleb and Joshua did not deny that there was great walls, that there was giants, that there was difficulty, fierce people, warriors, people that had, uh, were very experienced in fighting wars. But they simply proclaimed their trust in God. And they recalled his promises. And they said, do not rebel against him. And they, the people were still not convinced and they were ready to, to stone them. And you see, by intervening in this situation, 
he already and again shows himself a great help to Moses. And, but he also understood the depravity of man and the promises of God and human responsibility. Now the situation, of course, ends very bad for Israel. None of those that murmured from 20 years and upwards would enter into the land, and for 40 years they would circle around and around in the desert. We see that seriousness of sin. Next, Exodus 33, verse 11, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Joseph, uh, Moses was in the tabernacle, and uh, here Joshua was always close by. And when Moses left, Joshua would stay close there. So he would have had seen great visions, or at least be close to that glory that Moses heard and that Moses saw. He also learned to pray and to call upon God and to intercede for his people, as Moses had done. He had seen the holiness and the glory of God in these years since they had left Israel. Moses had changed the name from Hosea to Joshua. Hosea means salvation, and Joshua means the Lord gives salvation. More fuller meaning of his name that, would, that he would fulfill showing where salvation come from to a nation who desperately needed it as, as they were enter, about to enter into the land. One writer says, the name indicates a finger that points upwards, focusing all attention on the God of salvation. Of course, the name Joshua in Hebrew, in the Hebrew form in the New Testament Greek is Jesus. They're basically the same name. The point is that Jehovah saves. Joshua would bring the nation to the promised land. The Lord Jesus will bring his people into his eternal kingdom, saves us from sin, and preserves us until we are united with him in glory. Joshua is but, again, a temporal savior that points to him who conquered everything for the believer, and we are complete in him. Later, in Numbers 27, Joseph or Moses is shown the promised land, you recall, because of his sin of striking the rock twice um, in anger and unbelief. He himself was not going to enter into the land. So now a, a new shepherd was needed, and Moses <clears throat> sought for a man whom God would appoint. And God appointed Joshua. Joshua, Numbers 27, verse 18. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him. God had given him what he would need to lead the people. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And he took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hand upon him and gave him charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So Moses would lay his hand upon on him as a symbol of transferring that power to Joshua. 
and Joshua would stand before the high priest. Now, in the first five books, we see Moses communicating with God directly many times, but with Joshua, this would happen less. That work would slowly come to a close, and he would work with the high priest, Eleazar. So again, we see that mercy and that grace to uh, an often sinful and unbearable people of Israel. To the people, he continues to work with them and he cares for them. He provides them for a, a new shepherd and a, and a faithful leader, even though they deserve otherwise. So does Christ continue to look after his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He provides, he equips his church and continues to call out people to himself. Perhaps God is like Joshua preparing you for a certain ministry. Young people encourage you to look at the hand of God, look at the, the gifting that he has given you and to consider what he would have you to do in years to come. Are you watchful for that? Do you, the time that you've been given, are you eager to serve him as well? And how merciful he was to Joshua to equip him all these years in the shadow of Moses and training him up for this great task. So with that brief overview, let us go into the first nine verses. Verse 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all his people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. So Moses, being 120 years old, the man had been a shepherd and mediator for 40 years, so if you're old enough to go back to 1982, that would have been the start of his reign. Some of them would uh, know no other leader, of course. And uh, he's been the towering figure in those last four Bible books, teaching and judging every major story and event, leading the people year after year. He was there. And then he dies. Says there is no, they don't know where he was buried, maybe to avoid any type of uh, 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 worship at the site or something, but that the nation mourned for him for 30 days. And you wonder in those 30 days if the people would reflect on how they, how difficult the life had been for Moses, how difficult the people, the sinful nation, had made it for him. Now Moses had taken the nation, of course, out of a hostile nation out of Egypt and Joshua is to take the nation into a hostile nation with hostile people that must be driven out and dealt with and once again the, the writer gives respect to Moses and mentioned how close Joshua had served him as his minister or adjutant. he had learned to obey and to honor Moses but life goes on isn't it even with the death of one of the greatest saints in all of scripture, we see that God replaces and appoints new men. Deuteronomy 34 verse 10 says, 
And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants and to all this land. But yet God is not tied down to any leader or even if they are great, as good and as holy as they were. God fulfills his promises and takes and supplies new leaders as he sees fit. Matthew Henry comments, he said, God will change hands to show that whatsoever instrument he uses, he is not tied down to any. That is good for us to remember too. Death and funerals, wayward kings like Saul, for instance, and others do not stop the plans of God. Reminding us then and now not to place any leader on a pedestal, but to always to look and to rely on God alone. Well, you notice that after a short period of grief, no time was wasted. Was Joshua to wait longer, to mourn longer, to weep or something else? Well, he gets orders fast, and it's a big order. But with this great order also comes great promises and great encouragement that would strengthen him, which he would need. In the past, he had Moses to rely on, to talk to, to converse with at night. Now he was on his own, as it were. And you would imagine that he had some doubts as he was about to do this great task of crossing the threshold of the eastern side of Jordan there. And Joshua, of course, he was not a young man either. He was an older man at this point as well. So you can imagine the doubts as he would enter into the land with the people that he had and the nations that he was about to battle. You notice in verse 2 that right away he was told to cross the Jordan, entering into the land, and the Lord... Jehovah, uh, capital Lord, Jehovah, the eternal self-existing one, the ruler and most high, comes to him and speaks to him personally. And he asked Joshua to step out by faith and to move forward. The promise of the land had been in the minds of the patriarchs and the hearts of the people for a long time. Abraham, of course, uh, centuries, half a century before or so, uh, back in Genesis 12, 13, and 15, uh, was called out to and given the promise of this land. The roots of this book go all the way in Genesis. That's why we go back there often. And when Abram was called, he did not receive any detailed maps how this would come to pass. Jack, J David Jackman writes, no roadmaps, no detailed schedules, no explanation as to how it would happen. But all Abraham really needed was the promises from the sovereign Lord that he would show him the land and later give it to him. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of the country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. So first he shows him the land. Genesis 12, 17. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And, the, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Notice 
in verses 2 and 3 and 6 of Joshua. They did not earn it. They were not entitled to it. It was a gift and a promise from God to them. You see the tense in verse 3 and verse 2 that uh, I have given it to you. It, or, or it was already a done deal. Now you step out by faith in me. In the eyes of God, it already happened. The promise was sure, even though they would still have to enter the land and conquer it. With this assurance, he could move forward into the land because God, the immutable, unchanging God, had said so. Similar to every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we read this morning, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us with Christ, by grace are you saved, and has raised us up together and make us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Yet there was work to be done. There was commandments to obey, battles to fight, wicked nations to obliterate, and they must arise and possess it. They must go into the land. And all of it, the geographical outline is given in verse 4 there, and it was a tremendous chunk of land. Today it would be part of Israel and Jordan, Syria, Saudi Arabia, part of uh, Iraq, so an enormous piece of land that was filled with enemies and dangers and obstacles. But there would be no honor if there was no work. God would not plop them into the land and all the enemies would just disappear on their own. Obedience was required. It was a very great responsibility that was placed on Joshua and his people. Every meter of the land would be fought for and this is the great theme of the book. Faith and obedience. As it is in our lives too. Yes, the battle belonged to the Lord, but he uses the obedience of Joshua and the nations to accomplish it. It was costly for Abraham when he got the call to leave, to obey, to break from his own life, to move, before God even gave him any details of where he was going. It would not be easy, and it involved sacrifice, and hardship to trust in God. Faith and obedience, writes Peter Jeffrey, are inseparable twins. If the one is present, the other will be there also. But Joshua is also giving great encouragement and promises and a recipe for success. And he needs it at this time. He's at the beginning of a, of a great work and the beginning of his office. And we looked at the promises of the land, which he knew about, but also Joshua 1.5 says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee in all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. So Joshua was promised God's nearness, the same that Moses would have. It also meant that in the beginning of that verse, no one shall be standing against thee, whether it will be a rebellious Israelite or the wicked nations around him. God would make it 
God will be victorious, victorious for his name's sake. And as God has been with Moses, leading him out of Egypt, so would God be with him to guide and to protect, to defend him, and to prosper him. No doubt, Joshua would compare himself to Moses. He saw his great need for wisdom and for grace, and his his lack thereof, as he looked at himself, these verses indicate that he really needed these. He really needed these promises, these encouragement. He was flesh and bone like, like the others. He was prone to sin and unbelief. He was not some type of super saint or superman. But these are given to him at the beginning of his ministry. He could meditate on this promise. He could think of what he had seen in Moses top of that mount, close to that Shekinah glory, the source of infinite wisdom and consolation. He could remember the works and the power of God that God has done through Moses and that this same God would be near him. What a promise and what a comfort. For the Christian, we have many similar promises given to us in Scripture when it comes to the inseparable love of God in Christ. Romans 8, 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How good it is to train ourselves whatever difficulties might come our way, that this is our condition. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in our Savior. God has made the same promise to the church and to every believer, that he would be with us until the end of the age. What more words of assurance do we need? Not that there will be no difficulties, bloodshed, times of despair, like there is in our lives, but promise of deliverance in the end was secure and steadfast. Not that it always would be taken away from us. You think of the Apostle Paul when he implored God three times to remove that thorn, that certain difficulty, and it was not removed from him. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, my nearness is enough. Second Corinthians twelve nine. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly will I therefore rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Similar promises given in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do to me. Verses 6, 7, and 9. We see that repeated phrase to Joshua. Be strong and be courageous. Be very strong and courageous even in the one and Moses had given him the same in chapter of Deuteronomy 31. And later at the end of this chapter, and we'll come back to that again the next time, he is repeated. 
And just like us, we need that word of God repeated to us. We need to meditate upon us. We need it often because we are slow in heart. We are prone to forget. You remember the, the two fellows on the road to Emmaus, the Lord telling them, rebuking them, are you slow of heart? Have you not heard? Have you not figured out by now what has happened? You have the scriptures. The conquest that Joshua was going to be in was not just one battle, but it was many years of, of hard work. And he had these promises in his back pocket. In verse 7, we see that he also needs to be strong and courageous in relation to the observers of the law that was given. This exhortation to be strong and very courageous is given solely with a moral application. It was there where he and the people might approve themselves before God. Now, this was the first generation that had the written word. Uh, Moses did not have that, of course. He wrote many of it, so we, he didn't have that in those early days. Uh, he had the direct revelation from God, but now they had the written law of God. He tells them to observe it, to obey it, not to turn from the left to the right, especially as they go into another nation with various temptations around pagan practices that we, as we know later, that the Israelites would fall to. And they had to obey it, or otherwise the people would not inherit the land. Not just for himself as a, as a leader of the nation, but for all the people, the law of God had to be their delight. The, his word was supreme. Don't turn from it as other nations have. God points him and us to the true source of wisdom, his word that he has preserved for us. And in doing that, he would have God's blessing in his mission, doing what God wants him to do. And that took courage. Then, and it takes courage now in our age, to go against the stream of various cultural dictates, what is right and wrong, we may lose our jobs. We may lose friends or have difficulty with family members on certain stances. As a church, we take stands that are unpopular. As years go by, there'll be more pressure on us to, um, or it'll be highlighted of our stances as the Christian church in general um, uh, gets pressured. It's easier sometimes to cower or to Maybe be quiet about certain things and say nothing about the current trends and of ungodly behaviors. Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous. Then shalt thou have good success. The book of the law, it was to saturate his heart, his mind. It, would, it couldn't be very far from him ever, God says. He had to speak to it, to the people and to himself. He had to read it often, to meditate on it day and night, to muse it over. If we don't meditate upon God's revealed word in our lives, how can we obey it? How can we know his 
will. His will is not mysterious. It is written there for us. If we are unfamiliar with God's word and law, how could he lead the nation? He was charged to meditate on it, to obey it, and courage was needed for that, which the Lord supplied. He had seen the results of sin that had caused tremendous harm to the nation. Imagine 40 years, people slowly dying a generation. Every time there was a funeral, there was a reminder of that, that rebellion that they had committed against God. Even Moses was not allowed in the land. So he was familiar with the seriousness of sin. And only then would he have good success and favor with God. He would have all the reasons with all these promises that are given to him to be strong and courageous and not to be afraid or to be dismayed. You know, says, don't be dismayed, to be confused or fearful. Infinite promises and power is with Joshua. And the Lord encourages him these three times to be strong and courageous. Much like we in our day, we depend on the revealed word of God. When we speak it to ourselves or when we preach it in our churches, we depend on that word and the spirit to convict people, to convert people, and to subdue the nations for the Savior. We go there for direction and correction, for motivation, and come there to see his will. It is by faith in his revealed word and action, obedience, that we live this Christian life. Faith and promises go hand in hand. Joshua only had five books. We have 66 books of the Bible. Is this your practice? Are you seeking to apply God's word in your daily life, your daily practice? Are you saturating your mind with it, the mind of your family members, mind of your children? Are you the man or woman, the boy or girl? Psalm 1 verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doth shall prosper. Is that you this morning? Is the word of God a source of strength for you? If we are not in it, we will forget what is required of us. We'll be weak. If we're believers, we'll be weak. We'll fall into sin, perhaps. It's because we are not meditating on the treasure of his word. May these words directed to Joshua and us be an encouragement, a warning to us of the centrality of the word of God. And always make us look to the Redeemer, that great spiritual Redeemer, that is greater than Joshua, whom Peter calls the shepherd and bishop of our souls, by whose blood and sacrifice, perfect life and ascension, we live and have our being. And there he ever intercedes for his own.
like to close with Psalm 19, verse 8 to 11. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yeah, much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is a servant warrant, and in keeping of them there is a great reward. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and be of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee wheresoever thou goest. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the words that you encourage your servant Joshua with, Lord, and also us. Father, as we live in this wicked world, in a, in a land which is filled with enemies, temptations, and devices that are against you, Lord, Father, we just pray that you would indeed make us strong in your word, Lord, that we would not be afraid, that we would not be puzzled or fearful about trends we see or future days. Lord, but we completely trust in you in all things. Father, help us to be obedient, Lord. We're not saved by our works, by our doings, but Father, we, as James says, faith without works is dead. As the Lord Jesus said, you love me, you keep my commandments. Lord, give us that desire. Father, we need your spirit for that too. Father, and we ask you to give that in full measure. Father, we thank you for that great Savior, the Lord Jesus, who went before us, who crossed that Jordan, Lord, and who supplied a perfect sacrifice, Lord, that we could not do. In his great name we pray.